Good morning. Uh, my name is Matt, and uh, I'm married to uh, the amazing Jay. And we've got two little boys, um, one called Jacob and one called Noah. Um, Jacob's the quiet one. He's about three or four months old. You probably won't hear him this morning. Um, Noah, on the other hand, is two years old. And you may well at some point see him running around the church like a crazy little kid. Um, and I think it's incredible. Um, even at three or four months old, um, Jacob is already so different to Noah. Um, I've said this to a few people recently. I think um, his temperament is just completely different. Um, he's super chilled. He's super relaxed. He just he sleeps, he feeds, he smiles. Um, Noah, when he was three or four months old, different story. I think... Um, I think COVID might have had something to do with it. You know, the last couple of years have been a fun couple of years. Um, but I think also we were first-time parents, and, you know, first-time parents were a little bit stressed about parenting. And I think the chil- children inherit, don't they, the stress of their parents. And um, I find myself quite a lot comparing Noah and, and Jacob. Um, and I'm really interested to see what it's going to be like when Jacob is two years old and where, whether he'll be the same crazy little two-year-old running around the church. We'll see. Um, Noah is, is really in that place in his life where he's finding himself, and he's, he's developing his character, and um, he's, he's working out what discipline looks like and how to be obedient, and um, he's really working out, you know, for himself, like, what am I called to be as a, as a little follower of Jesus? Um, so I just find myself consumed with comparison and challenge at the moment. And interestingly, as we finish looking at the book of Hebrews, um, before I get into today's passage, before I um, speak on what I feel God is saying to us as we finish, um, I'm going to summarize the book to us because we started the sermon series back in October, I think it was, um, if I remember rightly, it was the 10th of October of last year we started this sermon series. It's been a while, so I feel like we should revisit the book just quickly and summarize <clears throat> what it's about. And I'd like to tell you that it is about those two things. It is about comparison and challenge. So the book of Hebrews was the letter to the Hebrews We don't know specifically who the author was. Some believe it could be Paul. Some believe it was Barnabas. But we don't know. There are some clues in the letter as to who it could be. But we don't specifically know. Um, And it was written to Jewish Christians who were facing persecution and imprisonment because of their association with Jesus. And some were walking away from Jesus and abandoning the Christian faith altogether. So that's the context, that's the audience for the book of Hebrews. And in some ways, not too dissimilar to us today and the challenge to us today. And the purpose of the structure of the letter, after a short introduction in chapter 1, there are essentially four sections of comparison where Jesus is compared four times to um, key people and events from Israel's history. The first of those is angels and the Torah. The second is Moses and the promised land. The third is the priests and Melchizedek. And the fourth are the sacrifices in the covenant. And there were two goals within 
these comparisons that you'll see throughout the book of Hebrews. The first is to elevate Jesus as superior. And the second is to challenge the reader to remain faithful to Jesus. So I'm just going to really briefly summarize those four comparisons for you. Um, The first, Jesus compared to angels and the Torah. In Deuteronomy 33 verse 2, it says that the Torah, the words of God, were delivered to Moses at Mount Sinai by angels. And in comparing Jesus to angels, the author is saying that Jesus and his message of good news are superior to all the previous messengers of God's word. And they're mirroring that, the warning and the challenge to us or to those, to the Hebrews was if, if Israel was called to pay attention to the Torah delivered by angels, then we should pay attention to the good news that was announced by the Son of God. The second comparison, Jesus compared to Moses and the promised land. Moses was the leader of God's people who led them through the wilderness and built the tabernacle. Jesus is also the leader of God's people, but the builder of all of creation, not just tabernacle. And the challenge was that the Israelites rebelled against Moses in the wilderness, and they lost their chance to enter into rest in the promised land. So if Jesus is greater than Moses, how much higher are the stakes if we rebel against him? We are also in the wilderness, and we have to trust God for the future rest in God's new creation. The third comparison, Jesus compared to the priests and Melchizedek. So the priests from the line of Aaron represented Israel before God, and they're the ones who offered sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. And the priests, though, themselves, they were also morally flawed, So they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins in addition to the sins of everybody else as well. But in comparison, Jesus was the ultimate priest, not from the line of Aaron, but but Melchizedek, not morally flawed, eternally available, the perfect mediator between God and man. So the challenge is to reject Jesus, we reject our best chance of being reconciled to God. And the fourth and final comparison, Jesus is compared to the sacrifices in the covenant. Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate sacrifice, superior to all the animal sacrifices offered in the temple. Now these animal sacrifices, they had to be offered daily and yearly on the day of atonement. But Jesus, he gave his life just the once and for all, sufficient to cover the sins of the whole world. And the challenge to us is turning our back on Jesus means turning our back on forgiveness. So these are the four comparisons. And after elevating Jesus, the final section is one big challenge to follow him. In Jesus, we found God's very word. In Jesus, we have a hope of a new creation. Jesus is the eternal priest, and Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. So now, 
we should follow all the great models of faith found in the scriptures and remain faithful to Jesus, trusting that in spite of whatever hardship and persecution, God will not abandon us, his people. And this challenge to follow Jesus serves the greater narrative of the letter, which is that rejecting Jesus is foolish because Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's love and mercy. And that essentially is the book of Hebrews. Um, So we're in this final section of Hebrews and we're in this section of challenge to follow Jesus. So I'm just going to read. And today we're looking at the final section, which is chapter 13, verses 15 to 25. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. So, if we're to live up to the challenge to follow Jesus, this final part of Hebrews um, shows us some things that he calls us to do with our lives. Last week, at the beginning of chapter 13, there were a number of practical things that were mentioned that God is calling us to do in our lives to follow Jesus. Things like loving your brother and sister in spite perhaps of how much you don't want to, showing hospitality to strangers in spite of how scared we might be to do so, showing compassion to those in prison who suffer injustice in spite perhaps of how we've already judged them ourselves, remaining faithful in our relationships in spite perhaps of how tempted we may be not getting caught up in the love of money, in spite of how much we might desire the new thing, 
and imitating the faith of our leaders in spite of how much sometimes we might think we know better than them and not getting sucked into strange or false teachings of the world in spite of perhaps how attractive they might appear to us. But in the passage today, it goes on moving from the practical to looking at some different ways that we're called to live spiritually to follow Jesus. And today I'd like to share with you quickly three, um, three challenges in how we're to live spiritually in following Jesus. The first of those is our call to live lives of sacrifice. So thankfully, we no longer live in the Old Testament times, so um, we don't have to sacrifice animals for all of our sins, because, you know, could you imagine the scene if we did? Um, Jesus, thankfully, has already sacrificed himself on the cross for us, so that all of our sins are already forgiven. And this work was completed when he said, it is finished. There is nothing more than we can add to that truth. But as followers of Jesus, as it says in these passages here, we're still called to live lives of sacrifice, not animals or materials, but a sacrifice to a life of praise, professing the name of Jesus with our lips from a place of gratitude, obedience, and worship. The term to profess means to declare openly, not to hide away, or not even to just have good thoughts. It says in the passage, the praise that pleases God is the fruit of our lips. So it's important the praise that we're talking about is that it has to involve our, our words. And it might be for some of us that we don't always feel like praising. Sometimes the heart does guide the mouth. And the praise, it comes naturally to us. And I was thinking... One of the things that I, I get involved with sometimes is, is Kairos Prison Ministry. And each year we go into Whitemore Prison and we spend a week with a bunch of men and we lead them through um, a course that looks at forgiveness. And we see lives honestly transformed over just a small number of days. And it's very difficult um, to go back into work the Monday morning afterwards and to not accidentally preach the gospel to every single person that you, that you meet on that day um, because it's there in the heart and you've seen it and it's so easy to profess. And sometimes it is like that. Sometimes that we profess our praise from that place, but not always. Other times, we might need our words to inform our hearts. And there's something very powerful about declaring the name of Jesus in times of hardship. And I'm sure that many of us have been in, in some of those places these last couple of years.
But the call to live sacrificially goes even further still. It's not just about professing praise. It goes on to say that, do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Living a life of sacrifice is costly. It means giving up some of self. The more we prioritize others, and the more we share what we have, realizing that actually nothing that we have is really our own anyway, and the more that our own agendas and plans and egos begin to take a, a back seat, and our priorities change, and our hearts become faithful to God. And so this challenge of sacrificial living is one of both speaking and doing. It can't just be one without the other. We can't be those that profess, then walk out the door and live ungodly lives. And at the same time, we can't be those that do good works on their own, because that is not enough. It needs to come from a place of love and praise for God because of what Jesus has done for us. The second challenge is our call to folly. Back a few months ago, I preached, I think, in one of the earlier chapters that um, people follow people. And this is, this is quite normal. This is how the whole world works. And God did intend life to be like this in the sense that he created us for community and he created us to lead others and to be led by others. And God places spiritual leaders in our lives to lead us, sometimes for a season, sometimes for the whole of our lives. And the passage goes on to say in verse 17 that we are to obey our leaders and to follow them and to encourage them. And we're to do nothing that causes leaders grief. You see, our leaders are held to account by God and they work for the good of others. When people in church or in other groups inspire our leaders to groan, then we're adding unnecessary weight to an already heavy burden. The Greek term that's used here, where it talks about the burdens, is referring to, to a sense of grief or groaning or sighing. This is the same that you'll see mentioned in Romans 8.23 or in 2 Corinthians 5, 2-4. And essentially what it's saying in short is that under their spiritual leadership, we should cooperate as much as is possible and not be difficult. And if you've ever been a leader in your life, you'll know that the, the potential list of things that can cause grief is a long list. You name it, it's probably caused grief to a leader at some point in their lives. But in this call to 
follow our leaders, we're challenged to consider how we can act differently. To show them confidence and have obedience to follow their lead. One of the ways that I think we can get behind our leaders here in St. Barnabas is to get behind Anne's vision for the church around prayer, around discipleship, and advancing God's kingdom here in Cambridge. So let us consider how we can better support our leaders in living out the vision we have as a church and not to make life harder than it already is. And the third challenge is our call to pray for one another. So in verse 18, it goes on, the writer asks the Hebrews to pray for him. And this links into this call to follow our leaders because the behavior that's on on display here is a behavior of humility. Is that when our leaders are humble, then it's actually quite easy to follow. And here, the writer is asking the Hebrews to pray. And in return, he then prays for them. And he prays that blessing, the benediction, that I'm sure you're all familiar with. And as a church, we need to be a church that prays for one another. Because prayer does change everything. When times are difficult as a church, do we stand together? Do we gather around each other and to pray and to encourage and to support? Now, the benediction, at first glance, it might appear to be almost like a, a, almost a generic prayer of blessing, but it's, it's actually more specific than that. It starts by saying, may the God of peace, because it's speaking specifically to the Hebrews and saying it's speaking to the troubles and the persecuted and those in times of difficulty. It then refers to Jesus as the shepherd of the sheep, calling out that we are, in fact, the sheep. We're the lost sheep. And Jesus is our shepherd. It then moves on to say, to equip you with everything good for doing his will. Because the intention here is that, that he works in us what is pleasing to him. So as I come to a close this morning with these final challenges to live a life of sacrifice, to live a life of following our leaders and to live a life of praying for one another. Considering the, the book 
I feel that it's important to say that, that we should not give up on Jesus because he hasn't given up on us. Like for the Hebrews, these are difficult times. We've all had difficult times these last couple of years. And we're still very much in the battle. Sometimes it can feel too hard. Sometimes it can feel like this life demands too much of us. But Jesus has overcome. Jesus has already paid it all. So that we can be restored into fullness of relationship with the Heavenly Father. So... Lord, I pray today that, that we would know that with our own hearts. Lord, I thank you that in Jesus we have your very word. Lord, I thank you that in Jesus we have a hope for a new creation. In Jesus... He's our eternal priest, and in Jesus, he is our perfect sacrifice. So I'm just going to finish by reading the benediction. I'm reading it over us this morning. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory, forever and ever. Amen.